I'd like for us to finish the year in the prophet Micah. Micah 4, 1 through 4, that's right after Jonah, right before Nahum. Or just go to the end of your Old Testament and start leafing back. And you will find Micah just a little ways back into the uh, Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament. Micah 4, 1 through 4. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that, that you would show us what will be and what can be now. In Jesus' name, amen. Think about being a soldier in the middle of a long fight. And this fight has real ups and downs and reversals and the line keeps moving and you're exhausted and gritty and people are dying. And um, what would the difference be for you if you suddenly knew with certainty that you were going to win that fight? It would make a difference in how you fight right in the middle of it. What would, what would the difference be in the middle of your chemotherapy? When you're as sick as you've ever been in your life, if you were to know for certain, it would be to reveal to you that you would be healed. Would that make any difference in the way you went through that chemotherapy? How would you proceed if you suddenly knew that you would get the girl? I say that uh, because we had three Highlands weddings yesterday. It was an amazing day in this church yesterday. Uh, Would you give up or would you keep going? Well, I think you'd keep going. It would be an amazing thing, wouldn't it? To, To kind of know the end of things while you're in the middle. Because it's in the middle that we sometimes get tired. And sometimes lose perspective. It's in the middle that we can begin to sag a little bit in our lives. And that's one of the reasons that being a follower of Jesus Christ is is so wonderful and, and so helpful. Because we know for certain the end while we're living in the middle. While we're living between the times, between the time of the crucifixion of Jesus, His resurrection and His ascension, between that time and the time of His glorious return and His victorious reign forever. And Christ wins. And, and Christ's people, we win. And, and justice and, and all that is wrong will be righted. And justice wins. And, and love wins. And that can encourage us when we feel like maybe we're sagging a little bit here in the middle, in the times between the times. But I want you to see this morning that it's not just as we kind of look at the future in Micah 4, 1 through 4. It's not just that Christ wins and the emotional and spiritual effect that knowing that can have on us. I want you to see that there's something actually from that passage that situation then that can be brought into now that will matter in our lives. I I want to talk about what will be and I want to talk about what can be now. But Let's read our text, Micah 4, 1 through 4. And it shall come to pass 
in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills and the peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and they will say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the many peoples and he shall decide for strong nations far away and and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nations and neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. This was written, spoken and then written, during a time when Israel was wandering spiritually away from God. See if you can recognize what was going on at that time and and what they were doing spiritually. Look, it's not that they didn't want to be Jews anymore. Uh, They just wanted to determine for themselves what being a Jew was personally for them. And what they began to do is they began to look around at the religions and spiritual practices of the nations around them. They began to consider the the good things, the bad things. They began to have a little comparative religion. And they began to construct for themselves their own personal spiritualities that they would call Judaism, but it was a, a mixing like a cocktail of God's. And as far as they were concerned, that was fine with Yahweh. In fact, as far as they were concerned, it was superior to the old straightforward ways of the mouth of the Lord and the law of God. Does that sound familiar? It's very current as people are mixing and matching gods and we have sums and nuns and alls and all of the aboves and everything in between and everybody reserves the right to say this is who God is. This is what He's like. This is what He's not like. This is who He will be to me. And this, I have determined, is how He will be worshipped. The one true and living God, however, will never share His glory with anyone else. He is God and God alone. And He loves His people. And He has spoken. And He is not pleased with our personal redefinitions of Him and what it is to worship Him and what it is to live for Him. And so, what did God do in the Old Testament over and over when this happened. 
And it happened over and over, just like it happens over and over today in our lives. We struggle with other gods too. Maybe they're not Asherah poles. Maybe they're not statues to Baal. Maybe they're more like money, sex, and power. Maybe they're more about the things that we think we have to have to make our life work. And we're going to cling to those things more than God himself. We're going to trust in those things to make us happy and whole more than God himself. But what did God do in the Old Testament over and over when they began to mix and match and, and worship other gods? Well, he sent prophets. That's what that whole section of the Bible is about. It's a loving God calling his wayward people back to his love. Back to relationship with him. Prophets represented the fresh word of God to his people. Prophets said these words, Thus saith the Lord. Or, here is what God Almighty told me to tell you right now. Now, whether Israel would listen to prophets sent from God or not, and whether we will listen to the prophet Micah this morning, the word of God sent to wandering people, all of us here in different degrees at different times. This is what the Lord says. I love you, but you don't love me. You're stepping out on me. You're two-timing on me. In fact, I... I'm God, and I know that you're depending on this stuff in your life to make your life happy and whole more than me. I know that you've moved from faith to trying to handle everything and touch and hold and put your trust in things of stone and wood and paper currency and checks and all kinds of other things in your lives. And what the prophets say and what Micah says is... You must turn away from your idols. They are not God. God says to us, they're not me. It's a very important point. And they cannot ever give you what you really need. I made you. And I made you for relationship with me. I made you for grace. I made you for love. I made you for the purpose that I want to give you. And they can never deliver what you really need. And the prophets always said this, didn't they? I love you too much to let you keep going in this runaway idolatry. To keep mixing and matching. And, and I'm going to have to remove them from you out of love. But I don't want to. And so I'm telling you now to turn from them to me as the meaning of your life. Dominic Stewart states, God sometimes wounds his people in order to heal them. Sometimes the only way we are cured of idolatry is for God to cut it out of us. To take drastic action solely because he cares for us. And in the Old Testament, so very often they would stone the prophets. <laughs> Kill the prophets. 
Remember Jesus' words? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. <laughs> and why did they kill the prophets? It's not a the shelf life of a prophet in the Old Testament is just not that long. <laughs> why do they kill the prophets? Because they really do love things more than God. And ideas of things more than God's word. And very often they would keep going their way, defining their lives, redefining God's, God himself. And what the prophets then would speak from God himself was judgment on God's people. The Assyrians are coming, he said, to the northern kingdom of Israel. The, the Babylonians are coming to correct this. He said to the southern kingdom of, of Judah, he called Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, his servant. In Micah 4.10, just verses after this, we read these words, Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion. Writhe and groan like a woman in labor, for now you shall go out from the city and you will dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon, and there you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemies. And what we see in the prophets is a very loving call for us to turn to God, to trust that God is the one. God's the one who loves us. God's the one who made us. God's the one who will provide for us. God's the only one. And when we do not turn from our idols, then God says, I'm going to have to cut it out. And the Assyrians are coming, and the Babylonians are coming. And, and what is so wonderful in the prophets, and this is kind of scary stuff a little bit, isn't it? But what is so great is that God never turns on his people. And, and he simply does not speak judgment without speaking redemption right after it. You, you kind of see this, this back and forth. The judgment comes in Micah chapter 3. The redemption comes in 4. Then it's judgment again in 4. I just read that to you. And then it's who will be the redeemer in Micah chapter 5. And, and that's kind of what we've been looking at this Advent it's been called the highest, if you're visiting, that the highest, God himself became a man, the highest came down to lift us up to him. Micah 5, 2, we read it Christmas Eve, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah. I mean, this is right after the judgment. Here's the answer of who is going to bring the redemption. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you will come for me, the Lord says, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, even from ancient of days. He's talking about out of Bethlehem, the, the Savior being born, who would be the redeemer of his people. And, and as we close 2013, I want you to know that, that God knows what we are like. We can't hide from God. This is a good thing, by the way. I don't say that in a threatening way. I actually say that in a comforting way. God knows that we are, what we are like, and His purposes for us are to redeem are so strong. 
that he can't speak judgment without in the next breath saying, but I will rescue you. And I will restore you. And I will bring you back to myself. And, and I will love you and you will love me. And it will be well. And in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, our text, we can see our future. It's a good future. While we're living in the middle, right now, Micah says that this will happen in the latter days. Uh, that's an interesting term, in the last days or the latter days. And what we realize as we read all these Old Testament prophecies about the last days or latter days is some latter days are more latter than others. And uh, some of the prophecies about the last days have already occurred. For instance, in the prophet Joel, in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon you and your young men will see dreams, your old men will see visions, etc. And, and in Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up and said, this is what the prophet Joel said would happen in the last days. Well, that's already happened, right? We consider in theology proper the last days to be those days between Christ coming to earth and His crucifixion and resurrection and ascension in heaven uh, up until His glorious return. In other words, the next event that will occur in these last days before that event will be the return of Christ. But when we read in the prophets about the latter days, it can actually talk about different events happening within that spectrum of time because these are the last days and there are different things that God has said will happen. But some are more latter than others. <laughs> and this has to do with the latter, latter, latter days. <laughs> this has to do with when God comes back and triumphantly brings all things to Himself and, and creates new heaven and new earth for us to live upon. You know, the fact that God is raising up a higher mountain, this isn't physically a, a bigger mountain. This is, this is a sense of, of, of that God will reign, that God will recreate everything, that, that we will find ourselves in the last latter days in the new heavens and new earth, the beginning of forever in the reign of Jesus Christ when we will be with Him a kind of new Eden. A new Jerusalem. It's literally called in Revelation the new Jerusalem that we will live in. In the last days, God will build a mountain above all the hills and the people will stream to it. This is the new Jerusalem. This is where the Lamb is worshipped and it is global you notice peoples is the word many peoples many nations will stream to it here is the picture that we read about in revelation of the great multitude from every tribe nation and language streaming to the highest heaven streaming to the throne of god and we understand how wonderful this future will be because it represents Micah 4, 1 through 4, three things to us, really quick. It represents the presence of God, 
the word of God and the peace or shalom of God forever. It represents the presence of God. In verse 2 it says, it is the mountain of the Lord Yahweh. And then we read that he himself will teach us his ways. And so it is spatially in the presence of God. And I love Revelation 21 22, that, that helps us understand that this is not a literal temple like the temple on a mountain. This is the new heavens and a new earth and the exaltation, the, the highestness of the throne. In Revelation 21, 22, we read these words, and I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the God, the, excuse me, its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Do you see that? This, this, the temple is the throne. It is, that's why all the peoples from all the nations stream to it. And I keep reading in Revelation 21, I'll, I'll start again, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, and the city has no need of a sun or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And it's the presence of God. But it's not only the presence of God, but it's the Word of God. Verse 2 of Micah 4, and He will teach us His ways. He will instruct us, and the law will go forth out of Jerusalem, it says. I love the idea that heaven is not a place where we, we just know everything instantly. We, we will know even as we are known, but it's not as though we know the depths of who God is suddenly. No, we will spend the rest of our lives praising and learning of the wonders and the greatness and the magnificence of God and the Lamb who sits on the throne. I mean, don't you like the idea that we for eternity will continue to learn and to grow and to work? There is meaning because we are spatially then in the presence of God and the Lamb. And the Word of God continues to go forth. So the presence of God, the Word of God, and then thirdly, the peace or the shalom the Old Testament word for the peace of God, the shalom of God, because He will reign. He will sit on the throne and the Lamb and He will judge and, and there will not be any hostility anymore. There'll be no more war. Verse 3, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. You know what plowshares are? They're the, they're the, um, the metal part of the plow, the, the, the sharp part of the plow that, that cuts into the earth. The swords will be beaten into the sharp part of plows. And spears will be beaten into pruning hooks. These are, the, these are kind of the knives that you would prune the, the vines with to, to help make it grow better. And so it says that all this will be beaten into, into plowshares and pruning hooks and nations will not lift up sword against nation. Neither will there be any war. They, neither will they train for war anymore. And, and what we see is the implements of war become implements of agricultural and blessing. Look, you got to understand something. This new heaven, new earth, it, it is, we're back to tending a garden again. 
There's purpose here. Yes, the final new heaven and new earth, it will be like earth. We'll live there like we live here, you see. I love the idea that we'll actually live together with the Lamb, that we'll actually have purpose and that there will be agriculture, there will be a garden, there will be food. Don't you like the fact there'll be food? There will be praise, there will be vocation. Forever it will be very meaningful and textured and rich and colorful. There will be a relationship with God without sin. It's going to be wonderful. But the shalom of God that we shall enjoy, the peace of God, isn't just a ceasing of hostility between people. No, the word shalom, and the reason I bring the word shalom into it, because that's the word used in Micah, has to do not just with the ceasing of hostility, but it has to do with with a kind of, of personal peace. And a kind of blessing and prosperity. I don't mean money, but a sense of well-being, a shalom. The peace of God, the shalom, is the sense of, of being right again. Of being whole again, being secure again, being peaceful again, being prosperous again. And this is represented in the passage in the same way that it is so often represented in the prophets with this picture of a man who sits underneath his vine and under his fig tree and he's never molested again. And the vine and the fig tree symbolize that, that he is able to enjoy God and enjoy life. And there, there is abundance, you see. There is richness to this life that God gives and a soul prosperity and enjoyment. And so we read in verse 4, but, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I look forward to that. What does that do to you, knowing that for certain? while you're sagging in the middle. It encourages me. And this is just one of the many places in the Old Testament and the New Testament where God shows us the glorious future that is sure that we will enjoy one day. And and I don't know about you, but that helps me in the middle. It helps me to not lose perspective. I'm reminded that God is king. I'm reminded that this world isn't just some runaway locomotive that that is somehow out of the control of God. I'm reminded that He is a Redeemer. I'm reminded that He loves His people. And He finally, through it all, wants to bring them to an eternal relationship right up close, spatially, with Him forever. It only deepens my love for God who has already given Himself to me. And He holds back nothing. Of what we need. You believe that? He holds back nothing that we need. That's what the Bible says. But I don't want you to just see how glorious it is. There's something else I want you to see. I don't want you to just see what what will be. I want you to see what can be now. 
2014 in a relationship with Jesus. I want us to see this through a different lens because Micah 4, 1 through 4 is all those things that will happen in the presence of God and the, the, the learning and the growing and the word of God and the shalom of peace of God. But I want you to, you got it all in your head now? Micah 4, 1 through 4? I want you to see it through a different lens. Here it is. It's not just all those things. It is the absence of idols. You see, that's the other thing about it. It's not just that God gives us good stuff. It's the fact that we've traded everything for that. It's the fact that it's the absence of false gods. There's nothing but God in the new heavens and new earth. There's nothing but shalom. But purpose, blessing, love, all these things from a God who is love. And as we begin 2014, I think each of us, and this kind of goes back to my little dissertation on the prophets and what they say, I think each of us needs to consider our little gods. Because we all have them. Every single one of us have little gods beside Yahweh. And, and how they are not the God of grace. They're not the God of redemption. And we need to consider well at the beginning of this new year or maybe even at the end of this year and, and now the what will be the beginning of a new year, we need to consider well whether desperately clinging to those things will really bring us shalom in our lives. Will needing this more than anything in life, you fill in the blank, really bring us shalom? We need to consider well the effect that we have on people we love when we relentlessly pursue our idols rather than God. Do we become more secure or less? Do we become more secure or more and more desperate? Because they demand everything and don't pay well at all. And we're never full. And we're always driving for more. What does that do? Do we become more loving and patient? Or do we become more manipulative and focused? Because idols, after all, are predicated on what we get out of it. When I was in India, I was suddenly realized why that's the land of, I think it's six million gods, I used to know the exact numbers. There's a, a phrase, it's the land of so-and-so million gods. And the reason it's the land of so-and-so million gods is that one of the practices there is for each family to make up their own god. And so I began to ask people there, very respectfully, by the way, I wasn't making fun of them, I just said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm an ugly American, doesn't know anything, could you like, fill me in on how you make up, how do you make up a god? 
basically. And the answer was, you don't know how to make up a God? <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that's cultural for them. You know, I'm like, no, how do you make up a God? Here's how you make up a God. I'll just put it really simply to it. You figure out what you want, and you create a God, and you sacrifice to it relentlessly to get what you need. That's how you do it. And you hang it on your wall, and you create a shrine to it in your home, and your children often take the same gods and adopt the gods they were grew up with and grandchildren, and that's how these gods get started, and that's why it's the land of... Maybe I have to Google it between services. So we'll say six million gods. Do we become more secure or less secure? Do we become more restful in our souls or more restless in our souls when we pursue idols? I think we know the answer. It hurts us and it needly, needlessly complicates our lives and destroys shalom look i've got them too we will never find the love and security in our gods or a mixture of those gods and our god because they are predicated on what you get but here here is a god who gives you everything Here is a God that conveys perpetual, immediate love and acceptance to all who receive Him. And what He's done. Here is a God that you don't sacrifice to in a fearful, slavish way to, quote, get what you need. Are you ready for this? It's breathtaking. I know you've heard it before, but let me just say it again. Here's a God who sacrificed For you. All. Once and for all. So that you will never have to live in fear. Never have to demand from idols ever again to get what you need. Why can't we believe that? You see, that is God. That is grace. Because He wanted you. Because He loves Israel. And He loves the Gentiles that have come in and he, and he wanted you and He loves you so much that He would sacrifice for you and for me. You see, this isn't just don't do idols. <laughs> you see, that's not what it's just about. It's not just if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to spank you. Don't do that. Don't go there. Stop. No, that is not the end of the story. No, this is don't miss out on the relationship. Don't dilute it. Don't divide it. Don't turn away from it. Don't miss out on the wonder of the life of God's grace right now. So Micah 4, 1 through 4 isn't just future. There's something for us now who are living in the middle. Yes, there is encouragement. Hey, God wins. It's going to be okay. Let's keep trusting Him. He is King. Let's get some perspective and some faith. Yes. But this passage is how that shalom can be ours right now, just right now in Christ. And interestingly... And I want to close with this. 
This passage, are you ready for this? Is word for word quoted in another passage. And I'm not sure which was quoted first. It doesn't really matter. And that other passage is Isaiah 2, 2 through 5. And in the Micah passage, it talked about the fig tree and the shalom and, and, and all this. And it goes on into, into more detail. But in the Isaiah passage, it closes with something else. And that's where I want to leave it and just read it to you and just let it sit, okay, as we move into a new year. And so I read to you, in verse 5 is the verse I'm referring to, and I'll stop and point it out. I read to you Isaiah 2, 2 through 5. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But this is the verse that I leave you with going into 2014. O house of Jacob, verse 5. O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk now in the light of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that it's not just what will be, but it is also now. Lord, we will not turn from our idols unless you convince us yet again of your greatness and of the wonders of your love and of the peace that surpasses understanding and the soul rest that has been won by you, Jesus, and the richness of life and joy and purpose and shalom that comes through that relationship with you. Thank you that you in 2014, can move us away from our fearful, desperate sacrificing to idols to more of a focus on your sacrifice for us. Lord, would you begin that process? And would you, through the turning from idols to you, Jesus, and your grace, would you give us your shalom that we might walk in the light of the Lord and the nations might be glad. In Jesus' name, amen.